Good morning, and we welcome you to Kale and Company Live here on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or deltadentalcoversme.com. And we are very pleased to be joined this morning by Eric Rinston Lobel of the uh, Concord Monitor. Eric, uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Ken. Thanks for having me. It's great yep. to be here. It is uh, our pleasure. Your first time on WKXL, I do believe, and uh, relatively new uh, to the Concord area. Yeah, that's correct. I think uh, January will be the the fourth month that I'm up here, so it's been uh, been a great experience so far. So, how did you get to to Concord, New Hampshire? What? Uh, how did you land in Concord? Uh, well, I uh, finished up my uh, journalism degree at Northwestern University in uh, June of 2022, and uh, I was applying for jobs, and uh, there weren't a ton that were out there, but one of them was the monitor, and uh, they decided to bring me on board. It wasn't wasn't uh, super complicated other than uh, an application that worked out, I guess. Well, I'll tell you what, you have made a, an impact already. You have uh, covered a, a lot of stories uh, thus far, very in-depth uh, stories, which are, are terrific. And I think it's one of the best decisions the uh, Monitor has made in a long time. So we welcome you uh, to the area, and it's uh, great to have you with us. I've seen you at a, a few uh, Concord High School hockey games, including uh, last night's, which was won by the Crimson Tide, 5 nothing over there arch-rival Bedford Bulldogs, but uh, let's talk about a a few stories that you've had uh, in the paper uh, recently, and and, uh, one of them was very intriguing to me, uh, and uh, you you had a a number of intriguing articles in the paper, but uh, none more interesting, I don't think, than uh, uh, about Annie Custer and her involvement in skiing and her lifetime involvement in skiing, which... I, I'm I'm guessing that many people didn't know about. Yeah, it was uh, interesting because I was assigned to cover her election night party on election day in November, and I didn't know a lot about her being new to the area. So I was doing some research, and I saw that on her website when it lists the committees that she's involved with, I saw that she co-chaired this bipartisan ski and snowboard caucus. Uh, so when I went to the event, I got to meet her, and I mentioned it, and she got really excited like, right away when I mentioned skiing, um, because as the story notes, she's been skiing since she's basically born. Her dad uh, was one to have founded uh, Wildcat Mountain and Pinkham Notch, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and she uh, just absolutely loves skiing. And now that she's in Congress, um, and you know, we're slowly starting to see the impacts of warming climate on winter sports, among many other things, uh, she's taken upon herself to uh, work with members of both parties in Congress to try to find solutions to keep winter sports viable, because in, in states like New Hampshire, it's obviously a major factor, not just recreationally, but economically. I mean, there's lots of people that rely on jobs for 
uh, during the winter season that have to do with skiing or snowboarding or other snow sports. And uh, those things are becoming much more complicated as temperatures warm. And, uh, you know, it is a billion, literally a billion dollar industry uh, in the state of New Hampshire and so integral to our economy. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the reasons that I, I liked reporting this story was, you know, climate change has obviously been a very uh, politically very polarizing issue. Scientists would, would say that it's not. It shouldn't be polarizing, but it has been. But when you talk to climate experts, one of the things that we say in terms of how do you get consensus on issues like this, it's around shared experiences and shared passions and in New Hampshire and other states, maybe like Utah or Colorado out west, there's a shared bond over skiing. And if, if everybody is experiencing similar things where ski seasons are shorter than they used to be, where, you know, they used to, people used to be able to go skiing before Thanksgiving. Now they can't go till after because they can't make snow until it gets to a certain temperature. And now that temperature is not arriving until later in the season. You know, if everybody's experiencing that and, they grew up skiing and they want to raise their kids as skiers and now they can't do that, it might be easier to kind of come to solutions as to, hey, how do we address this problem? And I think that's that's what Annie Custer's trying to do with the Ski and Snowboard Caucus is working with Democrats and Republicans to try to figure out, you know, what can we do to uh, maybe make it easier on these industries that are go- that are having to evolve very quickly. Yeah, no question about that. And uh, a lot of uh, ski areas uh, locally and uh, around the country are diversifying now. And you'll find that uh, they have a lot more activities during the non-ski seasons than they ever had before. Right. And and as I, as I just alluded to, the ski seasons are becoming shorter yep. and shorter. So uh, one of the folks I talked to for the story, Jessica Keeler, with New Hampshire, they're an organization that works with ski areas around the state, and they are kind of a liaison to politicians like Annie Custer uh, to try to get legislation passed um, that will help the ski industry. Um, She said that, you know, these ski areas used to make snow before Thanksgiving, and now they can't. And one of the other issues now is because the temperature has been fluctuating so erratically, you'll get snow and then it melts the next day and then it might refreeze but then it's icy so that's not those are not optimal skiing conditions so it just requires a lot of extra maintenance uh, to keep these trails viable for people to use as often as possible yeah no no question about that and uh, the seasons are you know becoming increasingly condensed whether you talk to uh, skiers uh, snowboarders snowmobilers uh, they, it's all, it's, it's, it's hit them very hard, uh, not only in this part of the country, but as you mentioned, uh, in, in Utah and Colorado and, and out West as well. And, and, and we're talking about, and I read this in, in your article, uh, Eric, that, uh, skiing and snowboarding, uh, contributed more than 55 billion with a B dollars in retail spending to the U S economy. Uh, that's not spare change. That's uh, that's a big chunk of cash. Right, and, and if you think about it, like it's not that's not just money coming from people that live in these states. It's people that drive up from you know either Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York to come up, you know, wherever, or people out west, as we mentioned, driving up from you know Arizona or some of those other Sun Belt states that want to get into some cooler temperatures. I mean, 
it, it's people all over the country that that love to participate in these sports and and as I said before, I mean, not only is it recreational, you have you know restaurants that are in those areas that rely on high traffic during the winter season. You have people that come to work in those areas that you know expect steady employment for those few months that they're there. So it impacts a lot of people across the country, and you know that's why I think it's interesting that uh, Congressman Custer has. Uh, really spearheaded the effort in Congress or helped spearhead the effort in Congress to try to get some stuff done. They, they're they trying right now. Um, I know that the new Congress is just getting underway, so they're going to have to, I think, go through, maybe restart the process again. But they're trying to get this bill passed uh, that's called the uh, SHRED Act, the Ski Hill Economic, Res- uh, Ski Hill Economic Resources Development Act, I believe is the acronym, if I'm remembering correctly. And basically what that's trying to do is any ski areas that are currently on uh, land that's owned by the National Forest Service, right now those ski areas have to give a certain percentage of the fees they collect from skiers to the National Forest Service. This act is supposed to reduce that number, that amount of the amount of fees that they have to give to the federal government. So in theory, they can keep more money for training and hiring staff and maintaining their areas. You know, I'll bet, Eric, uh, many people, uh, before reading your article, myself included, uh, uh, did not know that there was a ski and snowboard caucus in the United States House of Representatives. So, uh, I mean, if you come away with that one fact alone, uh, you're learning something. Uh, But uh, it was a a great piece, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, you got to know a little bit more about Andy Custer, I think, than, than most people uh, realized. Didn't a lot of people didn't realize she had uh, such a, a skiing uh, background, but uh, certainly did, as as you uh, pointed out in the article. Eric, stay with us for a couple of minutes. We have to take a, a quick break, and then we'll be right back and talk about another a couple of articles that uh, you have contributed to the uh, Concord Monitor. Eric Rinston Lobel is with us uh, from the uh, Concord Monitor. Monitor. We'll take a break. Kale and Company will continue right here on WKXL, NH Talk Radio. We are powered by Northeast Delta Dental. You can check out the plan that's right for you at either anydelta.com or deltadentalcoversme.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL. Great to have you with us today. And uh, great to have Eric Rinston Lobel with us, uh, new to the uh, state of New Hampshire. Where are you from originally, uh, Eric? Uh, I'm originally from New York. From New York. All right. What, what upstate? Uh, the city? Uh, Long Island? Where? Uh, Long Island. Long Island. Very good. So, uh, did you uh, grow up with uh, as a uh, Mets or a Yankee fan? Uh, unfortunately, for people in this area, I was a, I'm a big Yankee fan, so uh, I have to kind of keep that on the uh, down low when I've been around here. No Yankee shirts on the street. They're, they're not bad people, folks. They're really not. I mean, I, I have a son-in-law that's a uh, a devout fan of the of the New York Yankees, and I get along with them very well, even though I'm a lifetime Red Sox fan. But 
Let's talk about another piece that you had uh, recently in the uh, Concord Monitor dealing with the shortage of uh, sports officials throughout the, the Granite State. Why the lack of uh, officials here in New Hampshire? I think it's a multi-pronged issue. Um, from what I gathered talking to some officials that work across the state, first you had the issue of the COVID pandemic just kind of accelerated the retirement of older referees. Um, but that has been coupled with the fact that probably for the last 15 to 20 years, these organizations haven't been bringing on younger or new officials at a rate fast enough to match with the folks that are retiring. So there's been a net loss and there had been. Um, and now they're, they're trying to find ways to bring new officials on board uh, because they're getting stretched really thin. I mean, one of the, the baseball umpire, Jeff Kleiner, that I talked to for the story was telling me that, you know, they've had to umpire some of the JV baseball games with only one guy because they can't find more than that. They don't have enough people to send to umpires these games. They need them for the varsity games. Football officials are having to work two, three games a week, including maybe games back-to-back on Saturdays. Um, So there's just a lot of uh, issues that this can create because people don't really think about it much, but if there's no officials, there's no game. So uh, it's been an issue that these organizations have been dealing with for a while now. And I think it's all really kind of coming to a point where people are starting to maybe notice a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing you notice too, and you've noticed it for for a long time here in in New Hampshire, uh, anybody that attends uh, local basketball games or or football games in in particular and, and baseball games as well, will notice that the ages of the officials are up there, uh, you know, uh, late 60s, uh, you know, in, in some cases. Uh, you know, I know a lot of these officials, they're terrific officials, too. Great guys. And, uh, and but uh, again, they're, they're getting up in age and they're not being replaced uh, as rapidly as uh, as we would like to see. How, how, one of the issues, of course, is recruiting uh, younger people to officiate. It doesn't seem as if uh, younger uh, people are, are gravitating uh, toward that line of work. Right, and I think that's because of a couple of reasons. Uh, the, I think the most prominent that people might think is because, you know, why would you want to go out there and be yelled at by parents and coaches and players for two hours, right? I mean, that's just not something that anybody wants to have happen to them. I think from talking to the officials, They've kind of said that that perception, at least at least generally at the high school level in New Hampshire, is a bit overblown. Perhaps at the youth level, it's more prominent because you have more parents that think their kid is like the next Patrick Mahomes or you know Bryce Harper or whatever sport you want to talk about. Um, but you know, so there's that, and I think these officials, the officials, when they train new folks, they try to maybe teach them how to de-escalate people, at least coaches and players if that comes up during a game. So I think that's the first part that, and, and I, I would say that the big deterrent for people, and this is more just kind of speculation because we don't have any actual you know, data on this, but uh, I think other, other factors to consider too is, um, you know, Kyle Schofield, the football official that I talked to, he's the head of recruiting for the New Hampshire football officials association. You know, he's, I think 38, 39 years old. He grew up, 
around his dad, who was an official. And so when he was like eight years old, he would be standing on the sidelines of football games that his dad was working on the weekend. And now, you know, the NHIA has a rule where, you know, if you're not on the teams, you can't be, you know, on the sidelines and the kids below a certain age can't be that close to the field. So he can't bring his nine-year-old kid with him when he works games. So his kid's out doing other things. Um, and so there's not that, you know, connection of, oh, here's what my dad did or you know, here's what my mom did and I want to do that. And um, uh, so that, I think, is also a bit of a factor. One of the things you're, you're seeing in uh, whether it be a top flight college basketball or, or football or in the NBA and in the NFL, you're seeing a, a growing number of female uh, officials in those sports in particular, football and basketball. Have we seen uh, any of that uh, grow in New Hampshire? Anecdotally, I haven't seen a ton. I think um, all the people that I talked to for the story were men and I think they've they all kind of said that you know they want anybody who's willing to officiate um so I don't know that they've I don't know how concerted of an effort that they've made to focus on uh trying to bring more female officials on board specifically but uh, I do know that they are happy to have anybody that's interested in uh, becoming a referee. And I should mention if there's anybody listening that is potentially interested, um, if you go to nhiaa.org, um, there's links there for people that are interested in becoming officials. And some of the people that I've mentioned, contact information is available there. So uh, you can reach out to them. They're always looking for people to, to help out. Yeah, no question about that. And I noticed where there are about right now 100 football officials in the state. And that sounds like a lot of football officials, but when you think of the amount of games that are played every weekend during the football season, it's not too many. And and some of those games are uh, having to go uh, under-officiated. And under-officiated, or you just have officials that are overworked. I mean, like I said, you have guys that are doing a game at 11 a.m., and then they're going to a game at 2 p.m. And, you know, Everyday person might say, oh, so what's the big deal? You're getting paid to do it. But, you know, think about it. Like, you're, you have to be locked in to the action for two-plus hours, and you're, you might miss some things. And the longer you do it, the time, more tired you get, the more likely you might be to miss something. And I think uh, Kyle had mentioned to me, like, you know, if parents think that we miss stuff when it's four of us out there, what do they think we're going to do when there's only two of us? Because you can't watch 22 players with two guys or two officials. So, right. uh, it, you know, it's, again, it, it, these are issues right now that may not be super obvious to, you know, the average fan at these games. But, you know, these guys are people and they can get, you know, you get fatigued as you're out there for longer. So uh, it's certainly something to think about uh, when you're when you're watching these games. Because, look, the, and Kyle said, like, nobody gets more mad at us for getting things wrong than we do. Sure. He said he spends his like weekends sitting with his kids around the kitchen table with his iPad, watching previous game film to learn about, to see things that he may have missed and ways to improve for the future. So they want to get it right and they're doing their best. That's why I never listen to these shows again, Eric, because I, I don't want to get mad at myself, you know, so, 
<laughs> I just I just do the show and that's it. I don't I try not to listen. Uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, Eric, I, I want to thank you. I, I know you have to run, uh, but uh, we will have you back for sure. Uh, your your stuff in the in the monitor has been been terrific, and I hope you stick around the area uh, for a while anyway. I know you're a guy that's, uh, I, I know, going places uh, in, in your career. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we, we enjoy your, your writings in, in the Monitor and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Ken. It was great to be here, and I'm looking forward to being back in the future. Yeah, and, and next time we want you right here uh, in the studio. That'll be the plan. All right. Take care. Eric, thanks so much. We appreciate it. All right. Take care, Ken. Eric Rinston Lobel, and uh, you can read him in the Concord Monitor, does a, a terrific job. And uh, just uh, here recently in the last uh, you know, three or four months, and has a, an article in uh, today's paper about the, uh, the Bo uh, Pembroke uh, girls basketball game that was uh, played the other night. He covers all the sports and does a terrific job. And, and uh, if you have a chance to go back in the archives... And uh, read that uh, article uh, involving Annie Custer. Uh, I would suggest you do it. It's uh, very interesting and tells you a lot about the economics of the skiing business and uh, how she got involved at a, at a, at a very, very young age uh, in her life because uh, her father was involved in the skiing industry. I think that uh, article first appeared in the uh, Christmas edition of the uh, the Concord Monitor, so you have to look it up. Check out the uh, Concord Monitor files, and uh, you'll be able to read it. We'll take a break. Kale and Company will continue here on WKXL. Big news yesterday regarding the Boston Red Sox, believe it or not. Kale and Company, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We will be right back and tell you all about it right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com.